We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me as always, at this point, it's as always, Mr. Sean Cunningham of News 10. What's going on, Sean? ABC 10, James, ABC 10. But yes, I, I have to throw that out there. My bosses will get mad. Uh, no, everything's good, man. Just uh, watching uh, these Kings on the road, and it's a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde act for the most part for a lot of Kings fans, and been very amused over what's gone on over the past week or so. Amused. That's that's a good way to put it. Amused. So, uh, Sean. So, first of all, yes, your bosses. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's ABC Ten. That's well, right. Yeah. James's bosses. You know, I I am James Ham, the Kings Insider from thirteen twenty ESPN thirteen twenty. Shout out to my guys, uh, D'Lo yep. and Casey. Uh, but also, just a reminder that if you like what Sean and I are doing here, jump on board with the Kings Beat. Uh, give us a subscription not just on iTunes and stuff like that, but actually go to the King's Beat, give us a subscription. And if you can jump on board uh, with a paid subscription, we still have, I'm going to open a few more spots for the opening happy hour, uh, which is going to be a blast and uh, a a remote sort of a a Zoom happy hour. We're going to have a Zoom happy hour, but uh, like I'll I'll open things up and you guys can ask me questions and maybe we'll get Sean to show up and, and hang out with us and, um, but anyway, Sean, let's let's get to the basketball side of things. It's been a, a rocky week. Uh, we we <laughs> it's got a, been a week. It has been <laughs> a week. You know what? Like this is what covering this team has been like for over a decade, where we're constantly in this situation right here, where uh, whether it's the Marvin Bagley situation, whether it's uh, which we did not get to talk to last week. Um, and then we had Sam Amick on last week and we had a long conversation about how safe, uh, Luke Walton was and all of a sudden <laughs> he's not safe. And so like, this, they, they're winning and then they're losing and it's just so hard to wrap your head around this team. And the thing is, Sean, it's always been so hard to wrap your head around this team. There's, there's an incredible Jay-Z lyric that says it was all good just a week ago. And that was for the most part true. Think about that. Take, take, remove ourselves from it. Like, yeah, let's give a, let's give a little bit of like uh, uh, some flowers to Sam Amick from the athletic who, you know, he has this moment with Monty McNair and I think he was able to kind of go public with a lot of things that you and I obviously already knew and had been in kind of our reporting and some of the discussions that we had, but yeah, I was, I legit, I think we were talking about it with Sam on Thursday, which was I, one of the biggest things I give, 
Monty McNair credit for was the continuity that he's kept in place. Now you can blame and be cynical and blame it on certain things. Kings lost a lot of money during the pandemic. Uh, The guy he really wanted was in Minnesota, things of that nature. Um, But again, continuity is a pretty good thing, especially when you have a team that needs to learn to find consistency and find their way. And there, you know, all these things we've talked about for the better part of 15 years. And I credited Monty with saying that Luke Walton and keeping Luke Walton for this part to the start of the season is among his biggest accomplishments because he recognized that sometimes those, the biggest moves you make are the ones you don't right? Mm-hmm. Um, not in making a knee jerk trade. So now a week later, uh, things look a lot different because there's, they were staring at a four game losing streak before snapping that on, uh, on Monday against Detroit. So um, yeah, it was all good just a week ago and there's been a whole lot of stuff in between and I'm sure we'll dive into that, but uh, just to kind of set the picture of all of that, you know, and then fast forward to Monday where Sam has a, <laughs> a article that comes out, him and Sham Saranya, the athletic where it's, and I know you wrote on it too, James, but to me, I think it was telling for a lot of people around the league, especially in the wake of a five and five start through 10 games. But it was almost no offense to them. It was almost like telling us, yes, water is warm and, you know, fire is warm. Water can be cool. Of course, if they told on themselves to start the season, like if they sustain this like long losing skid again, like we witnessed last year, then it's not going to be good news for Luke and they're not going to tolerate that. And I think it was just a reminder as they're four games deep into this losing skid at the point at that time uh, that Luke's Walton, Luke Walton could be on a, a seat that's feeling hotter and hotter the longer this losing streak goes. Yeah, it's to me, it's always it's frustrating because you get to a point with this team. And it's always the same thing, Sean. It's like we're we're perpetually stuck on Groundhog Day, right? It's like I, I'm waiting for Sonny Bono to kick in. Yeah. And I just start singing, <laughs> I got you, babe. You know, That's it's right. like we literally are stuck in Groundhog so? Day. It, except for Sean, the, the beauty to Groundhog Day is that he goes through and betters himself every day. He figures out a new way to reinvent himself and to be better and to learn how to be a chocolatier and to do all these things. Well, I don't ever get that feeling here. We're just in the same situation starting over again. And I don't know what it is. I, I want to like berate some specific person, but it's two ownership groups. It's what is it at this point that of four general managers in my time, I think it's eight head coaches, seven head coaches. It, it never changes. It's always the same thing. And the I'll say for as much as Luke Walton can be part of the blame that's happening right now, it has to be at least somewhat on De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, uh, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes. Those those four guys right there have been together for you know three years. Like at some point the players have to take some of the blame. The coach has to take some of the blame, but how many coaches, how many situations can we go through like this that are almost identical? It's like somebody, everything is fine, lose a couple of games and then it's chaos. It's total chaos. And I just don't get how you can keep repeating yourself again and again, and then wonder why people, you know, well, wonder why you've lost, 15 consecutive seasons without the playoffs. I mean, you know, know, what's funny is seeing how fans and media like, I mean, they, they, they live and die with a lot of these media members. (laughs) They they live and die with every win. And sometimes they fool themselves. And I'm going to give you an example, because I think this is a a good 
shame on you moment, not for you, James, but for people who thought that they were going to enter this road trip and are like penciling in, all right, three and one trip, four and no trip. They're going up against a lot of subpar teams here or non-playoff mm-hmm. teams or teams that have got off to a bad start. And it's like, how dare you? Like, where's the humility? <laughs> like, do you not, has 15 years of this garbage not taught you guys anything? Like we talked about in our first episode, James, we're, we're given outlooks for the season. I had 37 wins. I think you had 42. Yep. At any rate, that's basically hovering around 500. They were 500 going into that road trip, or excuse me, they were a game under 500 going into that road trip. And all we're seeing is basically a team that's, the thing about 500 basketball teams is they're very inconsistent. Now I know a lot of the happenings that have happened in this past week were tough to watch, but I, as much as, you know, I look at what happened with this team and certainly we can get into all that. And there's the, you know, there's positives and negatives and a whole lot of negatives. Uh, I chastise more of the people that thought this was a four and one or four and O trip, a three and one trip. I was asked on the radio several times about it. And I said, no, I think, when you go on the road trip, I think always the goal is to is is 500, mm-hmm. and they still have a chance. Think about that, James. Like they, they still have a chance at being 500, bringing this back <clears throat> to home on Friday when they play Toronto, and that it it won't have gone maybe the way I thought it might in terms of. But at the end of the day, I still picked a two and two trip. I'm not saying that I'm a genius, but that's just the you got to temper and curb the enthusiasm, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think Sean, the thing that that I look at, first of all, I would, I said like anything less than a three and one trip, I think is, is a letdown for this team. Just because if you have aspirations, that's who you have to be. It's not who you want to be. It's who you have to be. When you look at a soft spot in your schedule, you, you've got to be better. But then, you know, I, I, I watched the uh, San Antonio game and then I went back and looked at the numbers from the San Antonio game. And I can tell you, Sean, that was checkers and chess. Yeah. The, the San Antonio Spurs were super, super comfortable allowing De'Aaron Fox to score 37 points because he was the only distributor on the team because Halliburton's out. And they're like, all right, if you're not going to make anyone better, that's fine. We'll let you go score. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We don't care. Like, go ahead and you can score 50. We don't care. We're still going to beat you because you're not making anyone else better. And that's a and, problem. And oh, by the way, it felt like they hit every single three San Antonio for a team that doesn't really shoot that well, at least to start the season. It felt like they hit everything. But how many times have we said that? Like over the course, <laughs> like oh, yeah. how many times? Like it, you give a team confidence and they light you up. You don't make adjustments. They light you up. And then it seems like for like three games, someone figured out how to limit Rashawn Holmes. And then the Kings were just a disaster without Rashawn Holmes scoring. Uh, Harrison Barnes disappeared for a couple of games. Buddy Hield had a game or two where he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And so you're just like, you know, I like that Fox found himself and maybe that's the silver lining to that moment. Fox found himself, but what does that mean? And how does this team, how do they consist find consistency? And, you know, I think it does come back on Luke Walton somewhat because he's, he's not able to be that voice that, that brings consistency that, that comes up with ideas that somehow to solidify this, but neither was, you know, Dave Yeager, neither was Paul Westfall or Michael Malone, or you just can't keep cycling through coaches every five minutes and think that you're going to be a successful franchise. That's not the way it works. And so for me, 
I just want some continuity. I, again, it, this isn't about like, hey, I think Luke, Luke is a genius and everyone's missing something that I see and no one else does. That's not what this is. This is at some point you got to pick, pick your path and stick to it and give yourself a chance to succeed. And they've brought in different assistants here to help Luke. They've, they've padded the staff. And the answer, you know, if Luke is out, Alvin Gentry's in, that's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Well, it's Alvin Gentry's offense. That's what they're running. They're not running Luke Walton's offense. They're running, you know, Alvin Gentry's offense. So I'm not sure, you know, how I mean, that here's another thing. way to look at it too. I mean, is it Alvin? I mean, you, one would think it would be Alvin. But I think there's also some chatter that doubling down on things that happened over the summer impact that coaching staff has had. I mean, you've got Bobby Jackson not far away in Stockton, and then you have Doug Christie not far down on the bench either. If there was ever a moment where if you totally aren't in on Luke and it gets to a certain point where, um, you know, hey, you know, this just isn't working. There's another long losing streak. Uh, We might want to salvage anything you already probably know what may, what it might look like with Alvin based on, like you said, James, him running their offense. But I mean, there might also be, Hey, what does Doug have? It's, it's an out of the box concept. He hasn't had been a head coach. Um, there's been a lot of teams that have hired coaches that haven't been a head coach before Steve Nash was looking at you um, several others, but it's just uh, yeah, man, like even Chauncey Billups to a degree. I mean, he's over in Portland and, um, I know he's spent time on, a, on an assistant coaching staff and people think the world of Doug with no pressure as an interim coach, you might get to see what that looks like should things reach a certain point. And you do so with really not having to bring anybody in, uh, make a decision in the off season and then maybe go get your guy or promote Doug, promote Alvin, whoever that might be. Um, I think there are options that, that I could it, look, we talk about Michael Malone all the time and we did it in the last podcast mm-hmm. uh, and the guy, think about that, like, even though the situations are different, right? Michael Malone was effectively fired because they wanted Chris Mullen to take over basketball as, as the head coach. Mully didn't want to take over in the midseason. He wanted the benefit of an offseason. Uh, so that never came to fruition, right? Um, but he was 11 and 13 when he was fired. Uh, Michael Malone was, and he didn't have his best player. And they got off to a hot start, much like yes, Kings team this year did, even with, even with a tough schedule. So there are circumstances that look the same. I'm not saying they are, but um, we've seen co- coaches get fired for less. I always say that. And yeah, I'm telling you, man, is I know there's a lot of people that might cringe at the fact that would they really let Doug Christie take over as head coach? Would they, you know, would, I, I, I'm not putting it past anybody. I think that could very well be a possibility. You know, I'm uh, like me and Doug have been friends for a long time now. Like me and Doug are close. I, I just like, I, I want Doug to succeed. I don't think you sure. have a chance to succeed in that situation. Like, Agreed. I think that that is, that is coaching suicide that you're taking a step there that, that you can't take back that they can't bring you back in this as an assistant down the road. If you did something like that, it's a horrific mistake, not only from a franchise standpoint, but from Doug's standpoint as well. And if you're Doug, I mean, do you turn it down? I, I mean, mean, can you, that's it. I mean, the, that, the guys, yeah. he wants to coach in such a bad way. And I have seen coaches take, interim roles and then step back into the into the assistant coaching ranks with another person brought in but it's not usually doesn't usually work right like you usually kind of have to excuse yourself so um boy sean i'm kind of 
like I just say no. I say no to that. I because and, and for by me, the way, I'm not. Yeah. By the way, I'm yeah. not saying I'm not saying it would happen. It's just to me, it's a. It, it, this is a team. This is an ownership group that obviously has a history of tinkering and wanting to kind of see what things look like. And um, I, all I'm saying is I could, I could see it happening. It wouldn't surprise me. Would I do it? Absolutely not. I'd let Luke probably finish out the year barring something absolutely catastrophic. Yeah. And Sean, like the issue that I have again, like how many times are you going to burn down one of your franchise like favorites? Like, because that's what you're doing there. That yeah. The potential to make Doug Christie like persona non grata with the fan base is there. Like, why would you do that? Like, so I, I get what you're saying. And, and I'll say the same thing about Bobby Jackson. I like, I'm not Bobby Jackson. I'm not sure is outside the box. Um, like Doug is, but at the same time, like I would like to see Bobby get some more, like he, like a year or two with the G league team before you consider something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Bobby Jackson would step in and just be this amazing coach. But, you know, he's someone that we know that we've had plenty of conversations. But again, how many times do you take one of your your franchise people and just torch them and, and put them in a situation where there's a good chance they're going to lose? And then by them losing, you, you trash another person that it wants to be associated with the franchise still. Like, it, it's such a good story that we have all this these guys that, you know, came to Sacramento, decided to stay in Sacramento, fell in love with the city, fell in love with the community, stick around. They want to return it to its glory. And then you run every single one of them out of town. So you don't even have that to fall back on as like, like, what are they going to do at like the 30 year anniversary of the Sacramento Kings or like later this year, the, um, the 20 year anniversary of the 2002, uh, Western conference, you know, well, the team that should have won the finals, but the 2002 Western Conference team that everyone loves. And at this point, like like three of them won't walk in the building anymore. So that's that's just like it's uh, you're just asking for it, aren't you? Like, I mean, I there is there. I, I see that. And, and look, I always like to slap people on the wrist in the organization, too. Like this is the year to commemorate, you know, the 20 year anniversary for sure but there's so many people that always hearken back to that time. And I get it. It was a special time, but it's in the, like, don't, you don't need to try to replicate that. And the other thing is, you know, I know like Vlade was a GM and I don't think you'll be anybody. There's not really a position. The closest thing to it would be a head coach. That's more scrutinized than being a general manager. Yeah. And I honestly feel that, you know, when we saw it, I mean, Vlade comes back, sits courtside last year in a weird way with Monty and Vivek, it was uncomfortable and they didn't even acknowledge him didn't announce him to the crowd. There was, there was, you know, there was people in the building and they didn't even acknowledge him. You know, I don't think he would have been booed. <laughs> like even just less than a year outside of being let go from the team. Uh, I honestly don't feel he would have been booed and shame on anyone that does, because you know, that those are two separate things. I get it. Like it's, it, he took the, he took it. He, he's a big boy. He can handle it. But um, you know, when you're, when you're bringing somebody back, you're remembering the good times, you know, he, he, he took the job. I mean, there certainly can be critical of it, but I get what you're saying. I mean, I know it ends up in a certain way, but I think more, more, most people, if you took the fan base, it wouldn't be a 50, 50 split. I think overwhelming majority would still choose to, you know, welcome Vladi back and, and, and cheer him in that, in that same setting, even if it was only a year ago. I, I would hope so because I mean, we know Vlade and he is such a nice dude. He's a cool dude. And did he make some mistakes? Sure. sure. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that Jeff Petrie didn't make mistakes. 
we don't even need to talk about the Pete D'Alessandro era. That was like it, like the whole era was a mistake. Like there's, I mean, there are so many things that have happened here where you're you're hoping that the franchise gets on the right track. And for as bad as people want to like harp on Vlade and everything else, I mean, he did actually leave the franchise with more talent than he got it. Uh, strangely enough, and so like. I, it's hard though, because again, what we're talking about here is would you consider, you know, bringing one of these guys into coach and, and running the risk of this again. And for my money, like, like I I've said it repeatedly. I don't know where I'm still not sure what the identity of the team is with Luke. I don't know that he's the worst coach ever. I don't know that I'm, I'm pretty convinced he he's not the greatest coach that I've ever seen, but (laughs) like he's somewhere in between. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I don't think that he's had the tools every step of the way. And, you know, uh, this season in particular, I think he does have most of the tools. I think to show this weakness again, early in the season is alarming, but I also want to point at the players and say, a lot of this is on you. Like yeah. Luke Walton didn't fumble the ball away and, and lose a game. Uh, like what we saw against OKC. Luke Walton was a coach of a a team that had an 18 point lead, but in the final seconds of a game, nobody set a strong pick for De'Aaron Fox. Everyone just ran through the motions while they ran a, what what everyone calls a one, four flat. Right. And De'Aaron Fox turned the ball over and it ends up going the other way for, for a a basket and, and you know, the Kings lose. Well, this is like the third time this season, fourth time this season, we've seen the same exact things. Like veteran players, guys who have been on this team for years, fumbling away. Uh, again, Fox missed the the alley oop to Chmezi Metu, which would have cut it to one uh, against Phoenix with like, or I think that was Phoenix with that was the seven point eight seconds left or whatever. Um, you know that would have been uh, that might have been um, India. That was the game. At, well, yeah, it was they all run in together because they because yeah. they came back and cut it to three. Fox misses two. Booker misses two, and then you're going to inbound to Mezzi, and they kicked it away. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so my point is, like, look, these these are what we hear the the little things. We everyone always says, oh, the little things. It's not that someone screwed up and, and like got the team blown out. It's that they they can't figure out these little mistakes that they make, and they cost themselves. And again, like I looked at the play, everyone was like, why would you run, uh, De'Aaron Fox against Lou Dort, a, a great defender? as your final play, why are you having him go one-on-one? And that clearly wasn't the plan. The plan was for Lou Dort to get screened and for a switch to happen and for De'Aaron to have isolated on uh, isolation on someone else and then go make a move and see if you can get someone open or see if you can finish at the rim. That's just not what happened. Again, right. no one set the screen properly. No one did what they not like. So many things went wrong within like a five they second. Stand, they stood around and looked. Yeah, <laughs> so and you just stood like, around and just watched it, like I as if they were in the crowd eating freaking yeah. popcorn bite. You know, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. No, it, it was crazy. So, so anyway, like again, I'm not, uh, I'm not a Luke apologist. I'm also not someone who thinks that switching out head coaches every two years makes any sense because I've seen it and it never makes any sense. It never helps. So at, at some point you've got to try something different. And I just feel yeah, like, and it's like, unless he loses the team, you know, I don't feel that that's the case. I mean, there's still a lot of, 
a lot of good that came from this offseason. And I think the other thing it's worth pointing out is like you do see improvements and you also see him with a staff that looks nothing like the one he arrived in Sacramento with. Totally different. It's totally different. And we're not talking just Doug Christie. I mean, we're talking Alvin. We're talking, um, I forget the assistant that came over, Long, Long, uh, Longbardi yeah. is brand new. Uh, I mean, so many guys. I mean, remember he, Igor Kokoshkov was his first lead assistant when he first got here. I mean, it's well, just, and Rex. And Rex, Rex is Palamian gone. is gone. Jesse and Mermis is gone. Ray, um, uh, Ray Rana. Rana is gone. Yep. You know, they're all gone. Bob like, Byer was a Bob Byer part of this one. Oh yeah. Bob Byer. Yeah. No, so, I mean, no, it, no. it's, I mean, you're talking about, about, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like there's five a, minutes. <laughs> there's a lot of changes within that staff and some staffs don't recover from stuff like that. He's, I think he's done a pretty nice job when it comes to that. There's obviously a lot of different philosophy that's been coming in over the past few years. I think continuity is a good thing. And again, look at where you are. I've, I, I said at the start of the season that it would not shock me if Luke is, is let go at the end of the year if they fall short. I think that's, I think he's expecting that, you know? Yeah. Um, no one wants to go in as a lame duck. It's just bad business. So, you know, at that point you, you probably make a coaching search, but if you, if you make it, then, then what do you do? Got, then, then you're you probably going to have to extend. You're probably right. going to have to, well, you're going to pick up his final year option, but then again, coaches don't go into lame duck years. Right. All right. So, so Sean uh, of the, like we watched them unwind here with like four games that were, like all of them had a different feel. None of them were like, well, the San Antonio game was bad outside of that. They've been competitive. And so when I'm watching this team, I'm thinking, okay, first of all, they do compete and they compete every night. Like, I don't feel like that there's a bunch of plays off. I don't feel like everyone just like shirks off their responsibility and like, ah, we're going to lose this. It just seems like they can't figure out the finer nuances of the game and, and then how to close out a game. Um, is there something else that I'm missing? Because I don't see some glaring weakness that, you know, clearly rebounding can be an issue with this team. Defense can be an issue with this team. They've had like two or three off shooting nights where they, they couldn't hit the basket, hit anything at all. And that cost some games, but are you okay with sort of their progress? Or are you like what, what a lot of fans are doing and just freaking out and pointing fingers? No, I, I, I mean, I would say oftentimes the one thing we were kind of critical of last week was a lot of the defensive effort just doesn't seem to be like it was a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, and I actually think some of that can be blamed on poor offense. Like you don't see the shot go down. I, I agree. I, I think it trickles over. Like I really do. And then all of a sudden a, a six point deficit is 18, like really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, like I agree with you. I think by and large, the level of compete is there, but like you should have buried OKC. <laughs> yeah. Mean, you're up 18, but, right. but this team did, decided like a few games into the season, they weren't going to pass anymore. Right. And, so, and that, that, so to me, that's what I'm getting at. To me, I've been very critical of the stagnation on the ball, uh, you know, and yeah. again, I know that goes back to, I sound like a broken record. This team doesn't really have the playmakers and, you know, it all, it's all like this big circle. It's like, Oh, you don't have the playmakers. All oh, the ball mar- ball stagnates. Oh, Fox has been terrible to start. Oh, can Tyrese and him coexist? And it's just this big circle that keeps going. Right. Yeah. And even the and, live ball turnovers, you can throw the live ball turnover turnovers. turnovers because yeah. that's, that's happening because the ball stagnation and everything else, it's just one big cycle. Completely. And, and so I, you know, I've seen the, imp- like, it's almost like, 
I've seen the light, right? Like I've seen what this team can do defensively. Not that it's stellar, but it's certainly a hell of a lot better than what it was last year. Of course. Yeah. But it's starting to wane because of poor offense, in my opinion. Uh, I think a lot of that is on this string and it's all together. Um, And they're just, they don't have that mental fortitude, toughness. And we talk about the better part of the past five years, this team has just been a soft, soft team and they've added pieces to make them more physical so they're improving in that range but still men, I think mentally they don't know how to do that like they we've seen look we've seen this team battle back from really big deficits and they've shown the ability to do that Phoenix game comes to mind cut it to three from 24 uh that you know that's all well and good <laughs> and you've got pieces that'll battle back like that but I, I do feel like sometimes there's this uh mental block sometimes when it comes to basketball IQ and, you know, you can blame a lot of that on coaching, you know, coaching can go a long way when it comes to stuff like that, but sometimes it could just be a, a bad mix of your core players that you depend on night in night out to get better as from a, from a basketball IQ standpoint, and it's still not quite there. Um, maybe it's just a small sample size, but um, I try to just chalk it up to defensive problems that are waning come from, kind of a really bad offense granted two of those games were with Tyrese Halliburton on the bench with this you know tight back and what a difference mm-hmm. he made when he came back um that's great but then that first came back everyone freaks out because De'Aaron isn't what he looked like you know for the past couple of games and um so yeah it is this kind of given this this really odd world right now but I I think the two are very very much so related that once the offense goes bad it, it has a factor on the defense as well yeah okay so uh, I, I went through and looked at the numbers over the weekend and I was stunned with how bad of a passing team this team is like they're around 24 25 in the league and and assists per game but assist percentage is something that is very easy to look at and and you can not only look at like where a player is at during the season but you can also look game by game and see how bad some of these situations get and that's where I was stunned. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox is, he's lower than he was last year. His assist percentage is down a little bit. But again, I chalk that up to number one, he's had a rough start shooting. So he's been trying to get himself going. Um, and, you know, the Kings have had like three games where they couldn't hit shots at all. So that hurts your assist percentage. But after Fox, we have Halliburton. And then after Halliburton, we have uh, Davion Mitchell, who's just under 20 assist percentage. And then, Sean, do you know who the fourth highest assist percentage on this team is coming into like like two days? I think it's Buddy. No, it wasn't. Okay, Buddy sixth. Sixth. So there's okay two in front of him. He's behind Alex Len and Damian Jones. Oh boy. So after Buddy, who was at eleven and was below ten before he had, I think, five assists on Friday or or right around there. After that, there's not a single player on the roster that's at 10% assist rate. That's that's just not okay. That's that's that's, that's dreck. <laughs> that's Sean, disgusting. There are literally games I was looking through where Harrison Barnes, Mo Harkless, and Rashawn Holmes all started and all had a zero assist percent rate for the game. Yeah. For the game. Like they literally didn't have not only an assist, but like potential for an assist these guys at some point they have to try to make each other better 
That's, that's the point. It's not that you have to be like this passing genius. You just have to be able to make someone else better. And, and even if it's like two or three times a game, you have to at least try. And that's where I think this team gets so caught up in scoring and who's the guy that they forget that guys are forgotten about that, that they have left people out of the game plan. They've left people sitting there who do nothing but get frustrated and then they're not the same player on the defensive end because they're frustrated on the offensive end. So I think that that to me is a glaring week. And again, it can be coaching that we can throw that under the, the coaching thing. We can also look at it and say, it's a basketball IQ thing because LeBron James never forgets about his teammates. He's always looking to get his teammates involved because that's how he, he dominates. Well, think so, about that too. You look at the Warriors, look at the Spurs, look at the Utah Jazz. Yeah. You sub, you sub guy. Look, I, I even bring up the Jazz and the Warriors because you've seen former Kings players there. Like you go there and they move the ball. Like it doesn't matter. You can rotate. And granted, I know you've got in the Warriors, you got Steph and Draymond Green who are such a dominant personality. But even look at the Spurs, like they don't have that dominant personality more. DeJounte Murray's their best player. They don't have that dominant MVP style person. And yet every one of those guys move the ball and they ran I mean, through you and they, yeah, they don't stop. They, they, they hit, they come at you. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. nonstop and it's, it's the personality of the coach. It's the personality of the, everyone's a buy-in and if you're not, you're gone. So uh, look at Utah, Quinn Snyder, they're, like, they're playing a brand of basketball that's going to have Rudy Gay back in the lineup very shortly. Um, you know, even Hassan Whiteside's over there. I mean, you've seen guys that are just like, the, the kid they're, they're they Rudy Gay was moving the ball in San Antonio yeah uh, and he's a brilliant ISO player you know he can shoot over anyone so it's like uh yeah it, you know I do I do put a lot of it on coaching because and I don't you know to, to Luke and and Alvin's credit I don't think it's I I see them they're saying move the ball you know run try to get the pace like go yeah. and either they're not being heard I don't know what it is but yeah it falls on coaching because at least everything we've seen here the ball doesn't move. I mean, the last time the ball really moved was Dave Yeager that year where they just, they, they were just electric. They were just yeah, it was fun. They weren't guarding anybody and they were just running. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to some of the good things that are happening. Um, like Fox is waking up out of his, his slumber, but uh, <laughs> Walton decided over the weekend to just randomly insert Shemezi Metu into the lineup. And the first game was okay. I, but the good thing was that Shemezi showed you who he is. He's a dude who's not afraid to chuck the three ball. And I think that that is exactly what this team needs. They have to have somebody who can space the floor from that four position. They have to have somebody who's rebounding better. And like, again, I don't want to pound on Mo, Mo Harkless because I've, I've been a supporter of Mo. I think Mo is a good player who's played on good teams. Um, but the fact that he doesn't pass the ball, he doesn't shoot the ball, and he doesn't rebound the ball, is kind of an issue. And so Chimezi Metu, you're not going to get the refined veteran look. You're not going to get the completely high level defense, but he's actually shown that he's pretty good position defense. He's active, he's athletic, he's versatile, but he just seems like for some reason he's a better fit. And it almost is starting to feel a little bit like the Rashawn Holmes situation where you kind of stumble onto something and you're like, Hey, I think I want to explore this further. Like what, it, what are your early takeaways from what you're seeing from Mezzi? Yeah. I think you hit it right on the head because uh, as much as I, I'm, I'm with you, I'm, I'm definitely a Mo Harkless guy. 
but the but we were talking about and the guy can't hit a corner three um, yeah I mean he just couldn't stretch the floor at all and while he is much better defensively than Mezzi the drop-off isn't as bad and I feel like they looked at him and said this guy will stretch the floor a lot better again we do have a small sample size who, who knows what happens when a scouting report gets out there a little bit more mm-hmm. um, but the thing I love about Mezzi is long and he's active so um he's 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 worth exploring but i i do in a weird way feel like this staff like if there is a criticism like i feel like they get a little bit in their own head uh when it comes to trying to tinker a little more i I almost feel like they try to look at the opposition more than saying nope we're gonna do this and the opposition will have to adjust to us so like the um, Alex Len Tristan correct. Thompson deal, like, yeah. Like where that's, you're going back that's just wonky. Like if you're doing that, then just play Bagley. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> because at least you get size, you address the rebounding stuff, and he's not physical. But if you've got Mezzi in there, that'll it, it's almost like that thing there. Mezzi can be more physical than Marvin. Um, both guys can tend to stretch the floor a little bit. Um, I don't know. I, I just I, I don't like the whole let's see what they do and then let's play catch up. It just feels like this game of catch up. I think yeah. Luke would probably bristle at that because he's saying that, no, I'm, you know, our still identity is we're going to use these three guards We're you know, and by the way, Davion hasn't really been what we saw in those first couple of weeks. So um, not sure what's going on there totally either, but there's just a lot of, a lot of question marks right now. And again, I keep going back to it. It's just indicative of, of a team that's still just trying to find their way. Likely a 500 team. You're going to see glimpses like this. You're going to see some, sometimes where things go really, really well. They rise to the level of the opposition and then they enter some games where like, Oh, we should get this. We can coast. And it's like, no, we can't coast. No, there is no coasting. coasting. No, No, there is no coasting. There is no coasting. (laughs) No, you're not allowed to coast. Yeah. Okay. So you brought up something there uh, when it it comes to Marvin. And for me, I would prefer to see Tristan Thompson and I would prefer to see Alex Len because I know what they bring Mm -hmm. and I know what they bring every single game. And Marvin hasn't got to that point in his career where he realizes who and what he is and what he has to be and, and accepts a role and all that stuff. And I I don't think the Kings are going to wait around to see that. So we have this issue there where it's like, okay, what exactly is going to happen with him? Now we had the situation last week, strangely enough. So, so people know we recorded back to back. We're going to pull the curtain back. Let's pull the curtain back completely. Yeah. So (laughs) we recorded back to back podcasts on Tuesday uh, because it was one of the few days of the week where we didn't have a game and it wasn't like chaos. So the second podcast of the week is what you call an evergreen podcast. So Sean and I are going to dissect everything on Tuesday when you get your morning podcast about what's happening, what happened over the weekend, what's in front of us, what's behind us, that kind of stuff. And really the nuances of what's happening where the, the secondary pod later in the week is going to be more like something that you can listen to two weeks from now, and it's still going to be relevant. So we had Sam on and Sam Amick. And the, the point to that was he had just got money. So it was going to be some somewhat topical, but more like we were, we were in an early phase of the season where again, the Kings had just lost a couple of games, but it wasn't like there was any panic at that point. It was a weird back to back at home. They just come off like three days earlier. They'd blown out Charlotte. Um, so the, it was supposed to be more topical. And then in between the time that we recorded the pod and the release of the pod on Thursday, 
Sean breaks his crazy situation where Marvin Bagley decided to not go in the game. And Sean, I'll just let you take it. Like, what was, what'd you hear? What was the idea behind that? And like, how do you think they handled that? Yeah. And I, you know, I think anyone who was listening to this podcast last week actually get, got the, the real clarity of it because we were talking about this moment and you can tell how I'm talking about it in a way that initially I'm thinking here, I'm seeing Marvin on the sideline and teammates are, you know, coming up and patting him on the back, patting his backside, you know, almost like supportive and Hey, keep your head up kind of a thing. And I'm thinking, my God, you know, we saw Chimezi Metu in that first half of that Phoenix game, but we didn't see Damian Jones at any point in the season. And Jamias Ramsey's checking in at a weird point, And it's like, he's checking in with, with, with De'Aaron, like they're, they're putting in guys that almost signal waving the white flag, but no, we're going to be competitive. And I'm like, I'm looking at this. And so it catches my eye. So I shoot it and full transparency. If no one knows completely like at ABC 10, we shoot everything. Like we, you don't, you don't have the anchors uh, at some, you know, most, most news places now have to do everything. They're shooting, they're writing, they're producing all that stuff. So um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting footage of this. I think Marvin's frustrated that he's not playing. And yeah, that's what that that's night, what that's what the discussion like. was. Yeah. And yeah. so Sean sits up by me, uh, like section 105, right? 104, 105, somewhere around there. And we have a tabletop and Sean, your camera can zoom all the way to the, the home yeah. bench, which is probably what, probably 80 yards away, mm-hmm. something around that. And so for you to catch that and like in the third quarter, I'm, I'm writing. So my head's down most of the time. I'm not looking for something like that because I have to have like my game stuff ready for the end of the game. So I have to shift gears and then you try to get your game stuff all the way done. So in the last like three minutes, you can literally be watching every single play to see what's happening and make sure mistakes aren't happening or turnovers or who's going to cost the game or win the game. But you were able to catch and you didn't catch like the initial exchange. No. Yeah. That's, that's part I like to point out because I didn't see the exchange but it's all the stuff that came after that. So what actually is on the, on the video that, that went all over the place is at least a timeout afterwards, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, I mean, it, you know, the, we all know by now um, the report is that, you know, I had several people tell me that Marvin had refused to check into the game when called upon by Luke. And, you know, it's to, in full transparency, like I didn't hear anything about that day of, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm con- we're, you know, much like James, we're constantly talking to people throughout our weeks and our days. And, um, I start kind of inquiring a little bit about that. And it's like, well, no, that's not really exactly what it looked like. And it turns out that Marvin refused to go in. And so I sat on it for a bit because I wanted to get more clarity. There's a lot of stuff I had had heard um there's things i still don't have complete clarity on which is why i didn't report some other things um but uh there is a i wanted to make sure that luke be since it involved luke i wanted to make sure he had a chance to talk about it and yep um you know to pull the curtain farther back i did reach out to him uh, i never heard back and um offered him the opportunity. So he knew he was going to be asked about, I didn't tell him I was going to ask him in pregame, but because I had reached out to him a day earlier, he knew that this was going to come up in the pregame. So um, yeah, I mean, I have to, I wanted to, before I reported anything, I want to make sure that, you know, I at least am able to ask the guy that's involved, you know? So um, 
coach, you know, coach, coach Walton didn't deny it. I think he handled it in a, in a pretty politically great way because, you know, he could have buried the kid. He could absolutely yeah. come out and buried him. Um, he could have also just lied, which is another thing that Luke, uh, kudos to him because he didn't come out and absolutely kill it and say, there's no truth to it. So, um, at any rate, you know, for people who think that this is a distraction, you know, I've talked to a few players this week, even behind the scenes. And it's, as somebody put it to me before, it's like, no, we're family. He says, we've, we've been through hot and worse stuff with, with different guys, including Marvin throughout the years, over the past couple of years, it's not really anything that, you know, really affects us too much. So, um, but then they come out and they have an out, just an absolute, just let down. Uh, yeah. And with that first, with that first road game of this trip. So um, it is, it is interesting to see. I think it comes at a bad time, um, but it, it is part of the whole, it was all good just a week ago and the whole narrative changes, but what do we see Monday night, Monday night Bagley's off the bench again, and here he comes and he, and he plays and showed a lot of rust. Um, but I think yeah, Luke it now, was sloppy. It, it was sloppy. Luke gave him some credit. And I think Luke is really just really trying to figure out the whole, are we going to be good defensively? Are we going to be this? What's our best foot forward in rebounding? What's our best foot forward defensively? And what's our best foot forward just to win? And I think there's a lot of tinkering going on. And I sometimes think it gets maybe a little bit overthought, but I understand why Luke didn't play Bagley to begin. I mean, the guy experienced a sore knee again in training camp. It didn't play in a couple of games. It's like, how can anyone blame Luke for not playing him coming out of training camp? When can you really trust the guy? Yeah, he missed uh, five days, five, six days. Right in two games and they were crucial parts of camp. And at that point, you're just like, well, here's another in a long stretch of things. It's buzzard luck. It's not, you know, but at the same time, it's like he needs people he can rely on. And when Marvin already isn't the most, you know, physically gifted guy and a uh, guy who's going to absolutely mix it up defensively and, and get into guys uh, you've got better options at that time. So I understood it, but I don't feel like removing him completely from the rotation is something I would agree with, but at least I understand the philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, look, I, I've said this. I think I said it last week. I don't like I've watched the Kings mishandle so many situations over the course of the last 12 years. Like there's been so many situations. I mean, I, I, I went to media relations because I thought one of the players was was um, had a he had a hard time controlling his family. And I thought it was spilling over into his play and ticket requests and just family members that wouldn't leave and were a nuisance behind the scenes. Those are situations where you're looking at, you're like, you should handle this better. I, I saw players that I thought were getting bullied by other players or another player. Uh, I, I've seen so many situations that I thought played out that would not have been the way that I would have handled something if I was running a team, because I'm looking at a player who's making a couple of million dollars and just turning into a pumpkin on the bench, because <laughs> you don't know how to, how to turn him into something better. You know what I, and so with Marvin's situation specifically, I've watched this whole thing play out and it, could you make the argument that Dave Yeager should have started Matt Marvin Bagley as a rookie? Maybe, but I understand a coach that says, Hey, a player needs to earn his stripes mm -hmm. and he, he, I'm not just going to hand over a job to somebody because they got drafted number two overall. He's got to earn his stripes. He needs to learn how to play defense. He needs to do all the nuances of the game. And I can't put him into the fourth quarter because if I'm actually going to win games, he's not ready to help me win games. He can help me win games quarters one through three, but everyone now sees 
when the Kings lose every fourth quarter because they can't close out a game, that there's an issue there with young players and trying to figure out how to finish games. There's an issue with veteran players trying to finish out games. So my point, Sean, is that I don't really think that I've seen this team mess with Marvin Bagley until we got to this point right now where it's like, look, we worked with you on all of your injuries. We worked with you when you wanted to go home to your family. We've been supportive. We sent people out to make sure that you're getting stronger and bigger and, and learning the game. We've done everything that we can do to try to make you a better player. And this thing just did not work out. And I don't think Marvin is a horrible player. I think Marvin can go on and have a very good NBA career. I just don't think it can be in Sacramento. I've said that before. Um, but I also do not think that of all the times that I think the Kings screwed up with a player, this isn't one of them. Like this, at this point, this was just them cutting ties and saying, like, we're going to go a different direction. You don't want to be here. We're going to go in a different direction. We're going to go with the guys that want to be here. And so I'm okay with them using Chimezi Metu, and, and I'm okay with them using Alex Lynn and Tristan Thompson. And to be honest with you, I think Chimezi Metu brings something that Marvin just can't bring. He's more active defensively. He's got a bunch of bounce in his legs. He he's a guy who wants to shoot a three catches turns and fires. He does not hesitate. I saw him make some nice passing plays. He doesn't go splash to the key and put his hands up and call for the ball as a post-up player. He stay, he plays within the confines of what they're trying to do. And so I'm okay with Mezzi getting time and I'm okay with the way they've handled Marvin and I'm okay with him being an expiring contract uh, on February whatever the trade deadline date is this year. So yeah, that's my take. Yeah. And, and, you know, I respect that. And, and yeah, I would agree. I would agree with some of that. I disagree with, with some others. I, I think overarchingly to me, um, this, it, it doesn't really make sense for either side from, I don't know what Marvin's camp is doing and I don't know what the Kings are doing. Um, there there's, uh, and this doesn't just, doesn't just talk about this year. I mean, this is beyond this. I mean, um, there's some enabling behavior, enabling of soft behaviors, you know, yeah. I mean, he works for you. Like the, at the end of the day, the organization, he, yes, he's protected by the players association, but he works for you. The dad doesn't work for you. The agent doesn't work for you. Yeah. The player works for you. Set the tone organizationally set the tone. Don't let him go home. Why are you letting him go home? Well, the, I mean, when again, they let him go home. That was an admission that the thing was over. I told perhaps. you that at the time I told you that no, at no. the time. I under, I understand what I was even told from the front office. I disagree. Like, w again, what do I keep saying all the time and stuff in the NBA happens? So the things change so quickly. Yeah. Don't put your back against the wall to anything. Don't be definitive to anything. Like you can't, can't do that. Um, ever look. So many people didn't think he'd be here right now on this roster um, no i didn't think he'd be here right yeah i mean we so, had this I mean, discussion yeah yeah it's it's and i and i look i'm with you i you know the, the likely the if you're if you're playing poker right now you're looking at it like well i'm about to fold on this kid right now right like this is over yeah but things can change things can things can be i don't see it necessarily changing but i think both sides are definitely to blame and, and again by the way it doesn't matter once marvin refused to go in the game not that he's the first player ever to do that especially in a king's uniform but once that happened, I mean, come on. That's his yeah, bad. What, yeah. what are we doing at that point? Now, for all we know, too, for all we know, he apologized. Great. Yeah. I, I, I believe that Luke and him are pr probably in a fine spot now. Um, but at the same time, 
that tells you basically everything you need to know. If you're a teammate, that tells you everything you need to know. Now, I do everyone. I know there were people who are like, well, why is the team reacting the way they did in support? And because they're still a family. And at the end of the day, someone yep. messes up. You want to show that love. You want to show that support. You know, Marvin is well liked by most people on that team. So um, there, there is still the sense that he's your family member, your teammate. You go through it. It's you're gonna, you know, again. But at the same time, like. It, yeah, it, it, to your point, James, like it, if, if it's over and it likely is, then yeah, it's over. But at the same time, like they have enabled a lot of behaviors that feed to the soft narrative. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, and again, this is a kid who gets hurt a lot. He's a kid that that's no fault of his own. Um, but I feel like you're, as I've said many times before, you're not good enough to throw away unproven talent. And yeah. Uh, he's very much an unproven talent. Look at that. I mean, you not, you talked about Chemezi Metu a minute ago. Like the guy, he's had to fight and earn, and you talk about earn it, right? Yeah. Well, Marvin, you can argue, has not earned it. And and that's what the message that Luke is, is, is sending forth. And again, I think we go back to Sam's conversation with Monty. Monty publicly said, and he drew this definitive line in the sand saying, the roster is Luke. Like that is Luke's decision not to play Marvin. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, organizationally, they might support that. They might, but yeah. that leads you to believe that, that, that there could be a thing where if Monty was the coach, maybe he's playing him. Maybe he's not, but he made sure to say that it's Luke's decision not to play him. Yeah. And I'll say this, like when I, when we have these discussions and you're listening to Sean go and I go back and forth. And again, these are discussions that Sean and I have had like mm-hmm. for months and months, and months, we we've had this discussion together, but I think I want to clarify one thing when I say like, Oh, it's over. They're done with him when he decided to go home um, and leave the team and go back to his parents' house when he broke his hand. That's not me having an opinion and throwing it out there. It's the feeling that I get from the people that I talk to within the organization. So when I say that, I think they look at him as an $11.8 million expiring contract. That's because that's the feeling I get from people within the organization. They will not trade him because there could be a bigger deal that they need his salary to throw in on. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to take some, some crummy deal that might give them a little bit more talent now when it costs them the ability to go do something much bigger down the road. And it's that's, not addition. It's not addition by subtraction. And there's people that just want to wash their hands. And yeah, you don't do it unless you're getting better. You got to get better. You can't wave him. You can't no, do anything no, else. You got to keep him. Yeah. And to your point, James, like, yeah, if if all you get is him freeing up that money at the end of the year, or like that, that's a that's a better positive than getting a second round pick. You know that that is a better positive. Or if all of a sudden a restricted free agent see what happens. I mean, you know, you, you can play a little bit of the whole possible sign and trade. Maybe this is a cheap enough option to where maybe, maybe he finishes the season in a nice way and he's cheaper now than he would have been, you know, who knows? Yeah. 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 You never know. You never know. All right. So we keep getting this, this keep hap- this keeps happening to us, Sean, where we get caught up in a Marvin Bagley discussion <laughs> and we don't leave it. Um, uh, the first thing I, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to skip forward to the business of basketball business of basketball today is going to be a little bit different because uh, I don't know. I uh, like, it's been a, it's been a long, it's been a long couple of days, right? Everyone's been through it over the last couple of days. I'll be honest, Sean Saturday, 
what were we doing Saturday? I, I was home alone. My family went away to Disneyland for the weekend. Without you? Well, yeah, because we had games on Friday and, and Monday. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't really leave and just take, you know, couldn't go take off. And okay. so I, I didn't. So I, the family left. Um, and I think it was, it was late on Saturday, right? It was like, I, I think it was Saturday, like eight o'clock at night when Shams tweets out that uh, Dave Yeager has mm. cancer and is stepping away from the Philadelphia 76ers. I'll be honest, Sean, it hit me pretty hard. Dave is a guy that we had here in Sacramento for three years. Love him or hate him. You, you build a relationship with people like when you're in our situation, mine and Sean's situation, we build relationships with head coaches. That's our job. Our job is to, to not cozy up next to, not to be friends with, but to become like, people that you can talk high level basketball with that's that's the the job is to get to know them to get to know them personally to you're around them a shit ton i don't i, I don't usually curse on here but uh, to be around them, <laughs> i didn't know we could curse james i was we should start this over <laughs> there we go but you know it's to get to know them to break down barriers to get them to be comfortable with you so they give you honest answers so they give you honest answers both on the record and off the record. So you know what's happening behind the scenes. You know what's happening, you know, all over the place, not just on um, what we watch and we we visually see from a distance. So I like Dave is, I think he's a year older than me. And his girls are, he has a girl that's a year older than my oldest and a girl uh, that's a year older than my youngest. I have two boys, he has two girls. And Dave went through a lot of personal situations when he was in Sacramento, which I'm not going to get into his personal Mm -hmm. life, but he had, uh, he went through some pretty crazy personal stuff while he was in Sacramento. Uh, He even had the situation where he passed out in the middle of a game that played into personal issues that he was having off the court. We're basically the same age. We're basically in the same lot in life with children and what's happening and volleyball and soccer and all these things. So we bonded pretty heavily over all of that stuff. And while I didn't always agree with Dave and I didn't always love some of his approaches to certain things, that doesn't mean that I didn't have like a mutual respect and that we didn't eventually become, we communicated well. And I still communicate with Dave all the time, Mm -hmm. like during the summer, like during trade season, are you going to take another job? Um, Anyway, so the news hit pretty hard. Sean, I got to be honest, it was pretty emotional because you feel for him. He's got cancer and he's going to, his life just gets put on hold for, I don't know, probably a year where he's fighting through chemo and radiation and that you hope that it comes out. Okay. They got it early. It's stage one cancer. Um, And it's what neck and head cancer. Yeah. And, and, and you're right, James. I mean, that's the, that's the, the silver lining and, and listening to him on Woj's podcast, talking about how, you know, 90% effective treatment is, will be effective. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's such a, a beacon of light that that's at the end of that dark, dark tunnel. And it is jarring. I I'm with you. I'm with you, James. I'm not that much younger than you are. And uh, to hear it and, you know, someone that's going through it again, me being, I'm, I tend to excuse more cynical and Dave knows that too. So uh, I'm, I was like thinking to myself, I'm so glad they got this early 
And there's a part of me that didn't believe Dave was going to step away. Like, yeah. Like we know, we know, we know that guy, we know how competitive he is. We know Mm -hmm. how much coaching is his life. Um, And I, and I know it's, it's been a few years since he's been here, but he's a maniac. The guy is an absolute maniac. All coaches are most coaches are, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's, he's a little bit different. He's wired a bit differently. He loves coaching. Uh, he's, he's big into coaching his faith and his family. And I think this will do him some good. I, I mean, it's a higher, high pressure, high stress situation. And you just think of everything going on in Philly and he's had a good impact on that team last year with doc rivers. Um, it, it's probably going to do him some good to step away from that whole craziness yeah. that's just going on out there and focus on himself. And he's been paid well. Uh, he got to get paid well for two years uh, after losing after losing the job here in Sacramento, and he found a job with the uh, with Doc Rivers with Philly. So um, I'm happy for him. I'm happy this is going to um, that that there is such a optimism and this and this uh, mm-hmm. uh, good diagnosis, you know. And but yeah, it definitely makes you step back and go, whoa, right? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, and, and this isn't like this isn't the first situation. Um, Keith Smart also had cancer and after he left the Kings and he's still like, he's a good man. People who don't know, Keith Smart's a really good man. Um, and then of course, Paul Westfall passed away from geoglastoma, uh, which, and he was, I mean, like 67, 68. And that one, and you know, I know you were close with Paul James yes. closer than even I was. And it, and it was a, uh, uh, that's what gives me up. That's what gives me so much hope with, with Dave is caught so early treatable highly effective yeah Paul was almost like you know I don't mean to sound crass when I say this but it was literally like a nope this is this is kind of a game changer oh no this it's is, a, it's a death sentence it, yeah glioblastoma is like it's horrific and and you lose yourself that's what I I felt for Paul and and for his wife Cindy like you lose yourself in that and mm-hmm. that's horrible and it went quickly like I even text with Paul maybe maybe a month before he passed away and I'm not, yeah. you know, I, maybe it was him, maybe it was his wife that texts back, but he is a very, very good man as well. And I, and I'm pulling for Dave. I'm hoping that this, uh, sure. this works out for Dave. Uh, you know, it's, it's not fun to go through this. Um, he did, he told me it's going to be very painful, uh, which is unfortunate and that's a bummer, but I'll also say the second text back was how are, how are my boys doing out there? <laughs> right. I know. I know, yeah. man. He's, he's, he's always inquiring about uh, what goes on inside his, especially when he's got a connection to uh, the one thing I always laugh at is if you're ever in a game and you're coming out of halftime and they play a, so- a specific song, it's a kind of an EDM DJ uh, mix song. I don't know who, who it's by, but it's a big buildup. And all of a sudden you hear this tsunami, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that was like Dave's favorite part. Dave loved that. It was, oh, it, it, it's hilarious. So uh, there's that one. And there's another one that they do usually in pregame uh, that, that he loved, but yeah, he <laughs> just stuff like that. Like you, you, we talk about it being the business of basketball and these are business working relationships, but there's very yeah. much a human side to it. And uh, yeah, we're going to wish him all the best and uh, he'll be back on the sidelines soon. We know that. Yeah. So, and, and I'll also say like with Dave, I spent a lot of time I would go to shoot around and I would just sit on the sidelines and just shoot the, you know, just hang out with Dave and and talk basketball, talk basketball, talk life. And those are, that's the best way for me to like 
you break down a lot of barriers. You get a lot more honesty, you get a lot better answers. You get a lot more like inside information where even if I don't use it and I'm not going to tell you the listener about it, mm-hmm. it's still, it's information that I know. And it gives me a better understanding of a situation when something bad does happen or something weird happens, you have a better understanding of all the players of all the pieces in play because you have a different relationship where you've listened and you understand, you know, a Harry Giles situation or a Marvin Bagley early situation, all of these situations, they're so nuanced and, in order to get that nuanced information, you really do have to break down barriers and listen and, and um, have a bond and a relationship with somebody that goes beyond like, you know, asking questions at a press conference. My, my favorite Jaeger getting to know him story, right, was um, like you said, James, we're all around the basketball court. It's always basketball. You're, 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 you're fortunate if you can mix in a little thing, a couple things off the that have nothing to do with basketball. But one of the things I loved about him was he's a guy who's so wanting to get into the community and it didn't matter if it was an inner city backpack giveaway or something on the farm. And one of the things that I love me being a city kid is going out into uh, South Natomas, there's a uh, agriculture state building. And once a year, they turn it into like a farm. (laughs) They basically turn this, this urban area into kind of what a farm they'll bring in horses and cows and sheep, goats, ducks, crazy stuff. And that was right up Dave's alley and it's not up my alley, but I will go out there to cover him and watch him climb a tractor with all these kids and watch him <laughs> literally herd sheep. Like I've got video of this guy, just an NBA coach walking out there with a bunch of goats and he's herding them. He's got a dog that's with him. It's not even his dog. And they're just, she's showing these kids how to herd goats. And it wasn't a farm, but they turned it into a farm for like a couple days and Dave shows up for a couple hours and he's like a kid in a candy fat. Like it, it is some of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I'm watching him and I'm like, this is especially when he's brand new to, to coaching. He did it every single year. He was here in Sacramento. Uh, and I would watch, I, I would always sign up for it because you saw him in a different light. He just lit up and you see this guy, like you'd never know that that was the Sacramento Kings basketball coach. Just yeah. He, he actually rode, I think they're called cutting horses the horses that do like dip and like that go crazy. He actually started getting to that. He's also a really good tennis player. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he would, he's ultra competitive. So, so anyway, okay. We're going to finish the business of basketball with one more thing. During the Dave Yeager era, there was a player that stood out that um, like brought the personality to the, the team for at least a couple of months. Like I, I think eventually it, it ran its course, but um, walking. <laughs> Some into would the, argue they've never had it back. <laughs> yeah, walking into the Kings practice facility and having Iman Shumper do his Eddie Murphy impersonations <laughs> were some of the funniest things. Especially when you look around the room, and I'm laughing, and guys like Sean are laughing, but the players aren't laughing because they don't know who Eddie Murphy is. Right. And, and right. so we're sitting there like enjoying him doing like his coming to America laugh and everyone else is like, what is he doing? Buddy Hill's like, what is he doing? It's like, Oh, are you kidding me? So anyway, Iman Shumpert, uh, he's in the finals and dancing with the stars. That? Yeah, is that man. crazy, Sean? It is crazy. And, uh, I, when I learned he was going to be on there, I li- I literally said he's going to do well. I didn't, I mean, I don't watch the show. Uh, I am a music guy, but I'm not a dance guy, but I watched, I was like, he's going to do very, very well. 
I didn't think he'd go to necessarily the finals. I mean, but it didn't shock me. And it's, uh, I, I, you know, that seeing him at that first media day, him singing his wife, Tiana Taylor's song at media day, top of his lungs, you can hear it all throughout the gym. And uh, I think his teammates love the fact that, yeah, he had a wife that was in a Kanye West video and was literally gave her a path to become her own rapper and, uh, and, and, and R&B singer. And she's, you know, had a great career. She's on tour now. And um, they're, they're such a unique, two unique individuals. And, and Shump is one of the most um, eccentric personalities is probably uh, the best way to say it. I mean, mm-hmm. he is just a, he is just a different dude who marches to his own beat and uh, a lot of people love it. And I was one who, who really enjoyed him while he was here. And a funny story, I actually shared it on my Instagram last night was uh, on, on Monday um, was the anniversary of when himself, Mark Van Bagley, Costa Kufis, and a few other guys went to a Rayleigh's shopping spree during their season of doing good. And he and Marvin were inseparable. <laughs> And here they are with kids and they're filling up their, their, you know, their carts for Thanksgiving meals for their, for, for families and stuff like that. Who, who, and, and Shump is talking about releasing this, this album that he has coming up and there he's got this track on his phone that he's lets Marvin here. And I turned it into a gift. They both get around their, their phone. I don't know if we're on video, but they're both just bobbing their heads around to this phone. And uh, it, it's just hysterical. And then he's just weaving in and out of, Rayleigh's and Bel Air singing this song or the hook to this song at the top of his lungs. And then they get into this conversation about distilled or uh, spring water and what, what, what water you should have and which water you shouldn't have. I mean, just crazy stuff, crazy, hilarious stuff, everyday conversations that they're, these guys are just too normal to have, but they're basketball players and it's human element. And uh, yeah, one could argue that night that they traded him to, uh, to, to Dallas that, uh, then maybe it maybe there was a piece of that soul of the, of the Kings team that they just haven't been able to get back. Yeah, they lost some mojo. They did. Um, you know, like I, I like Shump and I, I found him entertaining. I think by the time he left though, um it was a point where his playing ability and his sort of he hadn't played in a couple of years really. He played like 15 games or something the year before. Mm. He'd come off a bunch of injuries. Um, you know, he struggled to get on the court early by the time though, that he left, he had almost like was, had found too much confidence Mm. as a player. Um, not as a, like, I still thought he was a good personality for the team. Um, but he wanted more and the team was not willing to give more. And by that, I mean, he wanted fourth quarter minutes. He wanted more of a role. And the team was like, okay, this is not what the plan was with you. And this is not where we're going with you. And so like, while they lost after he left, they lost their mojo. It was also because after he left the season tightens up and everyone starts playing defense and starts running over teams that don't play defense like the Kings. And they adjusted to their play style. (laughs) Especially that year when they're known as the scores, which he named them. Yeah. The scores. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. went away. It did. It was just, it was just gone. And, yeah. and Justin Jackson was a part of that too. And he and Fox were very, very close. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, now Justin's in the G league and Shump is out of the league and maybe he'll take home that crown at dancing with the stars. We'll find out next week. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I watched him like, in I watched two episodes early on. He, at that point, he hadn't bought in fully. Cause I could see, it was like, you could see he could dance, but he hadn't fully 
like dropped and like got into the dance motion he was like kind of a pie and like not really like I think you know it's a little embarrassing. You're out there in some crazy outfit, and if well, you he's haven't... way bigger than his partner too. I mean, you know, yeah, she's she's yeah. all but what four eleven, and you know, yeah. And if you almost... haven't been a dancer, then you're gonna feel awkward dancing in front of people. That's what I felt early on. I'm glad to hear that like he's gotten into it, and like I watched one of his, uh, like he did, a, I don't know if it's Kronken or something. It was like some sort of dance. And it was like, holy cow. The like, one he right, did, the one he did it. on the uh on us, if you've if you've ever seen the movie Us by Jordan Peele, uh that that kind of theme that they did that I saw that and that blew me away. I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, good good for Shump. Uh I hope it works out for him. I, I'm really surprised he didn't really get another shot in the league, but like a cup of coffee here and there after he left Sacramento. Um he he's got a big personality and you know that fits somewhere uh and somewhere and some places it doesn't so like good luck to him and i i I hope he wins that would be cool right yeah take that mirror ball trophy isn't that what it's called the mirror ball i think that's what it is i don't know but it's on our station i should know that (laughs) i definitely could see vivek bringing him back to do like a halftime show oh that's gonna (laughs) james you just gave they should be paying you for this type of advice there it is there it is All right, so that's going to be it uh, for the business of basketball. Again, we like to open the doors here and let you see a little bit more of us um, during these segments. Um, As for the Kings beat, we're going to be back on Thursday. We'll have another guest. Uh, We're also make sure to hop on and subscribe and be a paid subscriber. Uh, We're going to have the happy hour coming up, which is going to be a good time. Uh, I'm just trying to work out dates with Kings games, and then I don't want to run into Thanksgiving or uh, your holiday party time, which is always like... <laughs> which like, is any day that ends in Y. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> but like you look at the schedule, the Kings schedule and the way things are going, and it's like there's there's a weekend for like a holiday party if you if you have to cover the Kings. Um, yeah, there's like, there's a game on the 17th and the 19th, but the 18th is a Saturday night that's free. So I'm going to try to avoid like doing that to you. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a good time. And, uh, so yeah, we're going to be back. Sean, do you have any th- final thoughts? Final thoughts? Uh, yes. Kings fans take it easy, man. Cause this y'all need to just chill, just chill, <laughs> relax. Take maybe, maybe just step away, get, you know, watch a movie, um, just don't live and die with everything. Cause I mean, I mean, I know, and I, you know, and they probably already do. I think maybe it's just really social media for the most part that, that really needs the talking to, cause it's not real. And it's just like the cesspool, but yeah, the whole living and dying just with everything is, is I get it. It's a good thing. It's what makes Kings fans unique. And it's part of the charm, but uh, this, I think this season's going to be with 15 years of, of non-playoff basketball, this could be one of the more, frustrating ones because you're going to see things that look great one night and just absolute trash the next I mean it seems like it's trending that way but that's kind of what being a 500 basketball team is so I think that could be a good thing we'll see we'll see all right Sean said it right there Kings are going to be 500 he said it (laughs) no take backs all right so that's going to do it for this episode of the Kings beat podcast thanks for tuning in for Sean and Cunningham I am James Ham we'll see you very soon Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.